you may be wondering why I look nicer than usual. Uh, the reason instead of dressing like a hobo, like normal. Uh, today we're talking about wealth, and I want to look like somebody who might have some wealth. So the illusion of success is what I'm trying to present here. Just a little peek behind the curtain. Uh, and I like theming my outfits to the message. So real quick, just before I talk about uh, wealth, it's kind of a funny thing. And the reason we talk about it too before we get started is that on our church vision in terms of fulfilling your highest calling in Christ, excuse me, improving your financial health is actually part of that journey. Because in the kingdom, wealth is not just a journey of money, it's a journey of the heart. It's a journey of the mind. There's actually things in your character that have to change in order for you to increase in wealth. It's a part of the system that God has created. So this is not just a journey of how to be really good at numbers. It's a journey of the heart and how to be a wise steward of the wealth that God has entrusted to you. So then why would I be talking about wealth? Who is this guy up here telling everybody what to do with their money? Well, I want to tell you a little bit about my own wealth journey. And I wouldn't really say that my wealth journey began about a year after college uh, after college, I had finished paying off my debt. I had a couple odd jobs and summer camp work, and I was able to pay off all my college debt thanks to my parents' help. And then I just kind of had a little bit extra money sitting in a bank account, and I just kind of was aimless. I went to, I studied pre-med, I got my bachelor's degree, and decided I don't want to do medicine, so I'm just going to do whatever. So I would do like acting jobs and write music and like explore everything in the creative space. But my dad was always like, hey, you should probably get like a job though. And I was like, no, dad, I'm developing my skills and creatively exploring things. He's like, cool. And how much are you getting paid for that? I'm like, okay, so uh, zero. So time went on and there was this opportunity that came up of saying, hey, do you want to be a part of this theater production that we're doing in Chicago with a bunch of kids that have also just graduated, which means everyone was also broke. So with a bunch of other poor people, I decided, yeah, I'm going to throw myself in that lot. People making no money to do a show that's just for fun and the arts. And my dad's like, are you sure you should be doing that show? Because, you know, you don't have any money. You're not going to make any money in the city. You have to drive to the city multiple times a week to do this thing. I was like, it's fine. Let me do it. It's like, I can totally handle this. By the way, can I borrow your car to get down there? So I was in, I was in a borrowed vehicle going downtown. And slowly, my wealth was just draining. Whatever money I had in savings was just becoming less and less and less and less. I spent a bunch of money on you know, new equipment to record and make better music. I spent money visiting girlfriends out of state, which were not Natalie. You can tell how lost I was at this point. <laughs> so I was just finally getting to this place where I was driving downtown for rehearsal. I'm in the city. And on my way downtown, I realized, oh, I'm almost out of gas. And when I say I'm almost out of my gas, I'm almost out of mom and dad's gas in their borrowed vehicle. And I just see that, that needle trickling, and it's like just tapped on the empty, maybe even a little bit past it as I pull into rehearsal for that show. And then I thought, oh, man, I better fill up on some gas with city gas prices before I go home. So I check on my app, you know, how much money do I have in my bank account? It was about 20 cents. And I'm like, that's not going to be enough gas to get home. Well, how much cash do I have in my wallet? I have zero cash in my wallet. So you're saying that the entirety of who, my net worth at this moment is about 20 cents. It's like, hmm, I'm like, I don't even have a watch that I could sell for enough money to get home. I could sell the shirt off my back, but then I'm walking around downtown shirtless. Maybe I could be like a street performer, but that would be illegal. Also, I don't have any instruments. Maybe I just have to go to a train station and literally beg for money. 
I'm literally thinking at this point, this was kind of my like prodigal son eating out of the pig slop. I'm like, oh, I have nothing. Like I have totally missed the boat on this one. There were all these warning signs and I just sailed right past them. And then it was funny, I was driving my other friends. So after rehearsal, I was one of the only friends that drove there because it was in the city. So I was one of the only people with a car. So they said, so all these people after the rehearsal would be like, hey, can you drop us off at home? I'm like, you know what? I'm not going to make it home. I may as well get you home. I'm probably going to be sleeping in this car tonight and I'll have to figure this out in the morning. So I dropped everybody off. I drop off the first person, the second person, the third person, and I'm dropping off the fourth of four people. And I've done this probably a dozen, half a dozen times at this point. And no one has ever given me any money. No one has ever said thank you. It's just kind of just like, oh, you had a car and you helped me out. So see you later. Uh, and at this last one, this last person gets out of my car and the door closes. And there's just, you know, that silence that just like thump, when the door closes on the car and you're just in this deafening silence inside of your sedan. And I'm just like, I'm doomed. Like, I, I can't get out of this. I'm like, I'm at my lowest. I have nothing. And I have no idea what I'm going to do from here. And then there's a pause and there's this little tap on the window. And it's my friend that I just dropped off. I rolled down the window. Her name was Chelsea. And Chelsea said, hey, by the way, you, you've dropped me off at home like three or four times now. I haven't had to pay for, you know, CTA or cabs or anything like that or Ubers. So, you know, I just thought I'd give you some money for gas. And she slips me 20 bucks. And I was like, you have no idea. It's like, how bad I did this right now. And it was so that it was immediately nearest gas station, 20 bucks. I probably like coasted on fumes into the gas station. And then I got home and that night with more passion and energy ever in my life, I thought, I don't want to be broke. I don't want to have nothing. I need to figure out how to start building some wealth because I don't like having nothing. I was literally lost in a new city having to beg for money if God had not provided $20 for me to get back home. So today we're talking about wealth. And now here's a couple disclaimers I want to make before we go into this. Uh, some interesting little fun facts about the Bible. Did you know that there are roughly 2,350 verses in the Bible concerning money? That's a lot of verses. Finding verses for this message was the easiest thing I've ever done in my life. There's too many. And actually, the hardest part was picking the right ones because there's just so many. Uh, the amount of verses about money in the Bible, that's almost twice as many verses that there are about faith and prayer combined. Jesus had a lot to say about money. And you think, man, Jesus cared a lot about money. I don't think he did. I think we care a lot about money, but he knows that our journey of wealth is not just a journey of money. It's a journey of the heart. It's a journey of wise stewardship. It's a journey of wisdom. So wealth is one of the ways that God shapes and transforms us. And it's one of the ways that his goodness is displayed in our lives when we are in line with God's system. So a couple other fun, th fun things. Nearly 15% of everything Jesus spoke about was related to money and possessions. Crazy. 16 out of his 38 parables dealt with the topic of money. And the only subject that Jesus taught more about than money was the kingdom of God. So this is everywhere in scripture. So then you say, well, hold on a second though. Isn't wealth evil? No, wealth is not evil. Greed is evil. So the money is the root of all evil, right? Or love of money is the root of all evil. So greed, desiring for things, things are not God. I need to make sure I still desire God more than I desire wealth on its own. However, wealth itself is actually a fruit of life with Jesus. Uh, so also too, if wealth is a bad thing, why is heaven full of it? 
Why are the streets made of gold and the gates decorated with pearls and fine uh, embellishments and things? If it's evil, then why is that all there is in heaven? <laughs> Interesting. And also we can't forget too that wealth is influence, that with wealth, we gain influence. And we'll talk about that in a little bit too. So here's the thing. We're going to go through this. I'm going to take a different approach to this. Uh, and wealth is a funny thing too, because wealth is not you know, everyone always talks about the secrets of developing wealth. There's not really all that many secrets. Like, it's all laid out. It's not that it's secret or hidden wisdom. It's just that you have to do it. So it's not so much about what are the secrets of wealth. It's just about doing the very public and obvious principles of wealth. And that's what we're going to talk about today. But we're going to talk about them one at a time in a message that I like to call the six cities of wealth. We're going to talk about this in an interesting way. We're going to talk about this in more of a narrative fashion, okay? So rather than just tell you a bunch of facts and figures and throw a bunch of scripture at you, we're going to talk about this like a story. So we begin with a man that I'm going to call the wise student. So in a distant land, in a far-off kingdom, there is a city full of cities. And can we get that image, David? Because I want you to picture this. Imagine... A city full of cities, and each, as, well, sorry, let me explain. So, built up the side of a great mountain, there are six distinct cities that stack and climb up to the summit. Each city has its own unique rules, a unique culture, and unique systems of wealth. So, imagine, to access each city, there are different stages of wealth on the way up. So this wise student, our protagonist, arrives from a far-off land bringing nothing but the clothes on his back. He spent what little he had and made the treacherous journey so that he could learn the principles of building wealth. He sees these six cities reaching up towards the sky, but before he can even reach the front gates, he has to pass through what I like to call the badlands of poverty. As, he, as the man walks, he sees people in all sorts of discomfort. People are begging and broken. They're trying to fend for themselves in a harsh land. The people here say, take what you can and live for today because tomorrow we die. They are hopeless. So the wise student makes his way to the city gates and approaches the gatekeeper alongside of what I'm going to call a proud fool. Every time we approach a gatekeeper, I'm going to present it with the wise student and a proud fool. They both make their way to the gatekeeper and they cry, please let us into the city. We wish to build wealth within your walls. Now this gatekeeper, mind you, is a giant. He's a big old giant. And he is standing there protecting the next city from wretches like you. But they're also protecting you from an unforgiving city that may not have mercy on your condition. So one might say this gatekeeper is actually a healthy boundary. Because like we talked about in our Eating Giants message, which if you haven't listened to, definitely listen to that one. The idea is this is a giant you are meant to overcome. You're not meant to sneak by. You are meant to overcome it. Eat this giant. Learn what it has. And then you will actually be able to inhabit the promised land on the other side of this giant. We're just reincorporating that for you. So this gatekeeper, this giant, stands there, looks at the wise serpent and the proud fool, and says, to enter the city of work you must understand this one truth. Rule number one in the city of work, God has made you capable of wealth. If you are not willing to work, then you can't even begin to play the game of building wealth. If you think that wealth is just going to flow to you and all you have to do is sit back and relax, you will never build anything ever, really anything of value at all. 
So rule number one in this city is that effort equals money. Let me explain. Even Adam and Eve, in the very beginning, in God's perfect utopia, that is Eden, Adam and Eve still had work to do. So it's not a matter of when everything is going right in my life. That means I won't have to work. Work is actually a blessed thing that God gives to us to express the gifts that he's given to us. Jesus did work on the earth. Adam and Eve did work on the earth. It's actually something that is meant to strengthen us and improve the land around us. You can almost think about your life as a garden that you must tend in the same way that Adam and Eve had to tend their garden. So God's system for wealth does not include begging, welfare checks, or theft. God gave you the ability to make wealth, not the disability. You'll get paid to be a victim, but you'll never get wealthy that way. So this is a good thing. Thank you. I thought that was pretty good too. So good, I'll say it again. You'll get paid to be a victim, unemployment, disability checks. You might get paid to be a victim, but you'll never get wealthy that way. So one of my favorite quotes in this regard was Ron Swanson. Uh, from Parks and Rec, he always says, and I'm going to do my best Ron Swanson here, he says, give a man a fish and you feed him for a day. Don't teach a man to fish and you feed yourself. He's a grown man. Fishing isn't that hard. (laughs) It's a good quote. Fishing's not that hard, guys. Just cast the line. Do a little bit of work because effort turns into money. And now here's how this works. And we're going to break it down stupid simple here. If you solve a problem for somebody, your effort has value. Your pay based on what you're doing, is going to depend on the size and severity of the problem that you're able to solve. So you might be able to say, well, I can make a hamburger. Great. Right now, that's worth about $10 an hour. Maybe. Maybe a little more, maybe a little less. You also might say, well, I can oversee and execute the construction of a skyscraper. That's worth about $1,000 an hour. So you may think you have value. There are problems you can solve. You have God-given gifts and abilities that enable you to solve problems in the world. And that ability to solve problems is worth money. You just got to put in the effort. You got to do the work. Um, And the verse here, I think that brings it home, is Proverbs 14, 23. All hard work brings a profit, but mere talk leads only to poverty. Do you ever get in conversations with people who are totally broke, they have nothing, but they're all telling you all the secrets about how to get rich and how to be wealthy and how they know all the tricks about making money? Well, all you got to do is this, this, and this. Okay, cool. How come you don't have any money? <laughs> well, because hard work brings a profit, but mere talk leads only to poverty. It doesn't matter if you know the answers. It matters if you do the answers. It matters if you do the hard work that brings the profit. Talking and knowing it, that's not how you do it. And also in today's world, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. In the wake of COVID-19 and the wave of of unemployment checks that were handed out to people, everyone said, well, I'm just going to collect free money from the government and no longer work. I think one of my heroes during during, uh, COVID was a friend of mine who said, I actually got unemployment and it was pretty good, but I said, that's not me. So I decided to pick up two extra jobs, in, I, one in my housing complex and then one at a, a nearby restaurant, and I was able to actually hustle and make more money than I was able to get through unemployment. So it's like, well, you could have been paid to do nothing, but she said, no, I'm going to hustle. I'm going to work, and I'm going to earn my own money. I'm not just going to take free handouts, because she knew that's not how you build wealth. And here's what's important to do, too. Oh, yeah, that's the other thing, too, is you might say, well, I can make money sitting at home, but that is not what kings do. That is not what queens do. If you are fashioned to reign, kings do not get paid to do nothing. Kings solve problems. Kings act. Kings challenge. 
Uh, and another um, very important key verse for this part of the journey here is you have a God-given ability to generate wealth, and that's from Deuteronomy uh, 8, verses 17 and 18. You may say to yourself, well, my power and the strength and might of my hands have gotten me this wealth. I did it all on my own. Next verse. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the power to get wealth that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers as it is this day. Does God keep his promises? Yes. yes. And he says right here, he, it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. So there's two important things here. One, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. No, it didn't. <laughs> no, it didn't. That, that all came from God because it's he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. And you might say, well, no, but I made this money by myself. Okay, who gave you yourself? Uh, well, mom and dad, who gave mom and dad their self, their parent? Okay, Adam and Eve. Who gave Adam and Eve? God did. Okay, God gave you the self that you used to make the money that you got. Well, but I used my own skills that I learned online by myself, you know, and my own abilities. Okay, who gave you your gifts and abilities? Well, I said I learned it online. Who gave you online? Okay, again, we go all the way back. It came from God. And we might say, yeah, but, you know, other people gave me this money, not God. Okay, who gave you, who gave those people themselves? <laughs> like, it all came from God. No matter how far back you trace this thing, everything comes from God. Uh, and that's such a key effort uh, for this whole thing. No, we're still good. I got this. And this is also where... <laughs> I got a lot of notes on this one, guys. We're going to be flying through these. Uh, and this is also, I think, why it's a really important thing to consider. Uh, and I would actually say, I would strongly encourage getting into the practice of tithing. And now, I'm not saying do this because you owe it to the church. I'm not saying do it because if you don't, God's going to be mad at you. I'm saying this because tithing is a practice that constantly keeps before us the idea that everything that I have came from God right? You got yourself, your skills and abilities, the people who give you the money that God gave them. That all comes from God, and tithing is a way to remind ourselves where it all comes from. And if you think about it too, if God gave you yourself, your gifts and abilities, your talent, your opportunities, the people that you do business with, what do you even really, it's amazing we get to keep any of it, right? Like if it all came from him, why do we get to keep any of it? And this is where it becomes the principle of we're actually wise stewards. We're not actually meant to keep this wealth. It's not meant to stop at us. It's meant to flow through us. So tithing, and what's great about the tithe is that it's based on a percentage. If you say, I only have $10 in my bank account, that's only $1. That's a tenth of what you own as your net wealth. And you say, well, I'm a millionaire. Cool. That's $100,000 annually, maybe as a tithe. And you say, well, that's a lot of money. Yes, but you also have a lot of things. Like, and if you ever forget that and start to think, oh, all my money came from myself, then we've forgotten Deuteronomy 8, 17, and 18, that it is the Lord that gives you the ability to produce your wealth. And usually when you start to ignore where your money comes from, you start to lose it. So that is why I would recommend strongly at whatever stage of wealth you're in, the tithe is a great practice to remember where your wealth comes from, pay your business partner, because it all comes from him anyways. So, and I'll say too, Proverbs 3, verses 9 and 10, honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all of your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. So tithing is not just so that God can get what he deserves. It's so you can get what God deserves. It's a part of the way that like he intends to bless us 
through this practice. So I would say you're like, well, tithing is part of a curse and I'm free from that and I can do whatever I want. Great. But if you're not going to tithe, make sure you're not missing out on the blessing that God intends to bring to you through the practice of tithing. That's all I'm going to say there. So now back to our story, the wise student and the proud fool. They approach the first city gates and the giants that stands between the badlands of poverty and the first city of work. The proud fool says, and I'm going to do a voice because I'm a dad and I do voices. Uh, Why should I work when I get all this money from kind-hearted suckers and government programs? I'm doomed anyway, so why even bother? Besides, I blame God and government for my poverty, so it's their responsibility to take care of me, and there's nothing I could or should do about it. And the gatekeeper turns him around and sends them away. Enjoy the badlands of poverty. The wise student knows that in order to enter this next city, he must leave behind his laziness, his apathy, and he must leave behind the title of victim. The wise student says, I will do the work. I accept the God-given ability and responsibility to build wealth. I will pursue wisdom the best that I can, and I acknowledge that all money that flows through my hands is God's on loan to me. And the giant, the gatekeeper, says, you may enter the city of work. So now in this first city, months go by, and our wise servant, our wise student here uh, is living here and is kind of enjoying it. It's much better than the badlands of poverty. It's not perfect, but it's much better. There's fair trade. Businesses function and workers find wages. People are building wealth, but after a while, the wise student decides, I still want a better life for myself. So he heads to the gates of the next city the city called Increase. He approaches the gate to the second city and arrives at the same time as another proud fool. Together they cry, gatekeeper, what must we do to enter the second city? And the gatekeeper responds, to enter the city of Increase, you must understand this one truth. Rule number one in the city of Increase, earn more than you spend. Sounds simple, but sometimes it's pretty hard to actually put it into practice. And now consider for a second, you might think to yourself, I'm working, that's good, but I'm still broke. Okay, then this is your city. What I'm hoping is by the end of today, everyone understands what city I'm in and what city is my next step. What do I have to do to get there? Everyone should leave knowing exactly what their next step is on their wealth building journey. So today, we're in the city of increase. Earn more than you spend. As Pastor Joe used to say, I usually get to the end of my month, or sorry, (laughs) I get to the end of my money, but there was still some month left. (laughs) You made it to the 17th, you paid for that, but the 31st seems a long way off. If you're spending more than you're earning, you'll always end up with nothing. To me, the best way to think about wealth is if you're thinking about being a shepherd of your wealth. So think about Bible times. You often didn't have, I mean, they had coins, they had currency, but more importantly, they had livestock, they had sheep. So a sheep, you think about like a dowry when, you, when someone was getting married, one of the gifts, like the money and blessing that I gave you was livestock. It was actually a form of wealth was the size of your livestock. So think about your sheep and that is your wealth. You don't have money, you have sheep. That's what they are. And now imagine you're sitting there and a sheep slips underneath the fence and just starts wandering off. What are you going to do? <laughs> You're going to get that sheep. Like, that's my paycheck over there. Like, grab that thing. Get it back in the pen. And then you might think, too, other sheep are sitting over there dying and starving. 
Feed the sheep. You have to care for it. They're living things. Your wealth is not just numbers on a spreadsheet. It is actually a, a garden, a pen, a sheep pen that you are meant to shepherd. Uh, so, and this is too, uh, yeah, and here's a good thought too. If you don't know where your money is going, then how can you know if you're earning more than you're spending? If the goal is to earn more than you spend, how much are you earning and how much are you spending? If you don't know the answers to those two questions and you're not making more than you're spending, then you will never get out of that first city. That's the reality of it. Because remember, the city is called increase. So if at the end of the month, I have $200 profit, you know, I earned a certain amount and I spent a certain amount, my profit the next month, if I profit again, that number grows. And if I profit again, that number grows. What they're doing is it's increasing. And remember, the opposite of increase is decrease. If it costs me $1,000 a month in expenses, but I only make $800, I have decreased at the end of that month. And then again, and then again, and I decrease. So the city of increase is about earning more than you spend. The proverb here, Proverbs 21.20, a wise man saves for the future, but a foolish man spends whatever he gets. If you're spending all your profit and you're never adding to your wealth at the end of each month, it's only going to decrease. Uh, here's a very sad story that I was, Natalie's already mad about this. I looked this up. I'm not responsible for a whole lot of bills, and it's not because I don't like managing wealth. I think it's actually pretty fun to know where all my money's going. However, I decided in college, graduating year, that there was an audiobook I wanted to listen to. And audible.com was like, hey, why don't you do a subscription? And then you get like a free book every month. And I'm like, oh, that's fine. Like, but I don't really need that. I'm just going to do the free trial, the 14-week free trial, read the book in 14 weeks, and then cancel the account. The problem is I forgot to cancel the account. So then time went on and uh, I realized, wait a minute, Audible is still charging me for this. So I, I tried to call them and go through the website and I thought that I canceled it. And I'm like, okay, that probably worked. And I ignored it. All the while, I kept getting charged every single month. $14.95 every single month. I finally looked it up today and I was curious about it because I thought this is a good example of me not paying attention to one of my expenses. I looked it up today and I have been spending money on Audible since 2014 for 72 months. And what that comes out to is $1,076.40 that I have spent since 2014. $1,000 of my money has gone towards audiobooks. I also looked up how many of these audiobooks have I actually completed? Two. So that's $500 a book that I have been reading on there. Is that wise stewardship of my wealth? And you think there too, that was a sheep that just kept walking off a cliff and dying. <laughs> And then next month, that sheep, okay, I'm going to go head this way. Okay, see ya. Bop, bop, bop. Dead. Every single month, I was losing sheep. I was losing sheep. And you think about that and think now, at the end of every single month, I have now, I, I was going to show the screenshot confirmation. I've officially canceled my Audible account. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Which means every single month, I'm going to have an extra $14.95 in my pocket. That's a beautiful thing. That's what we call shepherding our wealth. And I want to remember, too, that when it comes to uh, making more than you spend, it's not about how much money you make, it's about how much money you keep. That's a very important principle. Let's take an example. Cranston makes $10,000 a month. That's pretty good. However, it co his cost of living, his regular monthly expenses, is about $9,000. And then Murphy only makes $5,000 a month. That's half as much as Cranston. But his expenses are only $1,000 a month. So who makes more money, Cranston or Murphy? Cranston makes twice as much money as Murphy, but who keeps more money? Murphy keeps four times as much money as Cranston. 
So even though you make a lot of money, you may not be keeping that money unless you know where it's going. And even if you're not making a lot of money, that doesn't mean you cannot be increasing. It depends on your income versus expenses. Uh, one last thing too, Luke 14, 28 through 29. For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it. Otherwise, when he's laid a foundation and is not able to finish it, all who see it begin to mock him. You don't want to be mocked. You, won't, you don't want to have incomplete projects in your life just because you didn't know how to pay attention to where your money was coming from and where it was going. It's really helpful. The, the real step here is just get a budget. Know exactly how much money is coming in, exactly how much is coming out. Mint Mobile is a free app that you can use that's great at helping you track that. Paper budgets, I believe in them. They're very helpful. Uh, Dave Ramsey talks about the envelope system because then I know when I'm out of money, there's no more I can spend. It's, if I have it on credit cards and debit cards, I can just rack that thing up forever. But sometimes we need a hard boundary, like a finite number of cash in an envelope to actually stop us from spending more than we earn. That is all up to you. But for now, we'll go back to our story, which we're going to find... The proud fool, once again, standing before this giant, has a different voice, too. Well, tracking money is a pain, and I don't like math. I'm going to just keep doing whatever I want and hope that it all works out in the end. And the gatekeeper turns them around and sends them away. The wise student knows that to enter this next city, the second city of increase, he will have to leave behind his ignorance and his lust for things. The wise student says, I will track every dollar. Once I know where it is, I will tell it where to go, and I will spend less than I earn so that I will never be empty-handed. And the gatekeeper says, you may enter the city of increase. One more giant in the belly. So now, living in the second city, beautiful, months go by. Our wise student is in this city, and business and wealth are greater in the second city. People are kinder and more hopeful. There's less theft, less bitterness, and less stress simply because everyone has enough. Still, he cannot shake the weight that he feels. The wise student decides to investigate the third city, a city called Freedom. He approaches the city gates, now up to the gatekeeper next to another proud fool. And they ask the gatekeeper, gatekeeper, what must we do to enter the third city? And the gatekeeper responds, to enter the city called freedom, there is one thing you must do. Name of the game in the city of freedom, pay back all your debts. Whoa, how many people just said, I like city too. We're done. <laughs> right? This one hurts a little bit. It stings a little bit, especially in a culture where we love debt. We celebrate debt. Debt is a wealth-building tool. We should all have a certain amount of debt. It's normal. It's good. It's right. Not according to Scripture. That is not the truth. So Proverbs 22.7, this is why the city is called freedom. The rich rule over the poor, and the borrower is slave to the lender. As long as you have debts, your financial future is in someone else's hands. You don't actually own what you have. You're actually living in illusion right now until you've paid back all your debts. Then it's actually yours. Like right now, we still have a mortgage on our house. Do I own that house? No, I don't. I live in it and I call it mine and I decorate it like it's mine, but do I own it? No. If the lender ever decides, hey, you know what? We're done. Pay us what you owe us. And that's the end of the story. Do I have a house? No, I don't. I don't own it. It's not mine yet. So the debt that's eating away at your income, because we all know that debt has interest, and it only grows 
unless we are paying it off faster than it grows, right? So as that debt grows and gains interest, it's eating away at your income and your investments. It will always be a thorn in your side and a leech on your wealth. It's a leak in your bucket and it's a rower on your boat that's rowing the wrong way. It is actively fighting against your progress as long as you have debt as a rower on your boat. If all of the lenders that you owe money to decided today they want their money back, what happens to you? You're in jail. There's actually a whole story about this. Matthew 18, verses 23 through 35, the unforgiving debtor. We're not going to go through the whole story, but the idea is that a man owes a debt, and he says, hey, I want my money back now. And the borrower says, well, I don't have it. He says, great, I'm going to throw you in jail until you can pay back every single cent that you owe me. And we forget sometimes that debt is actually a promise that we made. I will pay you back. And we don't pay back our debtors. Not only are we slave to that, de- that lender, but we're also liars. We didn't keep our promise. We did not have the integrity to follow through on what we said we were going to do. So debt is tough. Yes, get free of it. Debt is aggressive. Yes, get free of it. It is going to continue to just eat at you until it's gone. And you might say, but there's a lot of debt. I know. Work it off slowly over time. We have friends of ours that left college with like $40,000, sorry, like $400,000 in debt. I talked to a guy in Chicago who was another wedding photographer that I was working with. And he said, I left college with $100,000. He said, this year I made enough money to live in my own apartment, have a comfortable style of living and buy three Teslas, but I've had to spend all of it on my college debt. (laughs) And you might think, man, that's so wrong of college to charge money like that. But you signed the papers, you agreed to it. You said, yeah, I'll pay this back. Did you mean it? Or did you just sign the papers so that you can get what you want and you were just gonna run as soon as they decided it was time to collect? That's theft. That's not something that's going to get us to any future wealth. And this is why wealth building is a matter of the heart. Right now in in city number three here, we're actually learning how to keep our promises. We're learning integrity. We're learning freedom. So if you must borrow money, only do so if you have an ironclad plan to pay it off immediately. We'll put things on the credit card for points sometimes, occasionally, if it's a big purchase, so that we can pay it off the end of the month. We don't even let it go on to the next month. We pay it off as quickly as possible because we never want to say, oh, shoot, we ran out of money this month. I guess we'll just carry a balance. It's already off and running. It's a slippery slope and it starts fast. And that's a fun thing too when it comes to something like buying a house. If you have to take out a mortgage, some people said, well, I have this house I want to buy. It's $200,000. Is that a good move? And I said, well, how quickly do you plan to pay it off? It's like, well, why does that matter? Should I or should I not buy this house? I'm like, how quickly are you going to pay it off? Because if you pay it off in 30 years, your $200,000 house is going to cost you $500,000. That's not a $500,000 house. So is it wise to pay $500,000 for something that should cost $200,000? No, that is foolish. That is bad stewardship. If you're going to pay that off in five years, your $200,000 house might only cost you $250,000. Is that a good move? Yes. So that purchase and whether or not it's a good purchase depends on how quickly you're going to pay off the debt. Because if you let that run, that's going to eat away at your wealth. You'll never be free of that until it's done. And I will say too, when it comes to a mortgage, there's things like credit card bills, phone bills, car payments, things like that, student debt, pay that off immediately. Mortgages is kind of a concession, but make sure if mortgage is your only debt, that you're still making more than you are spending that you are still increasing and try and make that as small a payment as possible. And if you can pay it off quickly, pay it off quickly. 
Dave Ramsey would still recommend everybody buy a house cash. Just rent until you buy a house cash. And there's actually some wisdom in that. That's not for everybody, but it's still a good move. For the next five years, the ability to buy a house cash is going to be very, very beneficial because as interest rates increase, that does not, that, sorry, as interest rates increase, that does not affect the wealthy that can buy things cash. They don't have to worry about the interest rate because they're not carrying the debt. So we now see, wow, in future cities, there's actually tremendous benefits that I get because I follow these rules. So this is also a good time maybe to reevaluate your insurance coverage because insurance protects you from going into more debt. Because if I get violently ill and I have no insurance and suddenly I have a $50,000 hospital bill, that's now a lot of debt. And if I have insurance that protects me from going quite that far into debt, that's an extra expense. I need to still be earning more than I'm spending. However, I'm protected from going way into more debt. So that is the main point for that. And let's remember too, how God has designed us to operate. Uh, Deuteronomy 15.5, for the Lord your God will bless you as he has promised, and you will lend to many nations, but you will borrow from none. You'll rule over many nations, but none will rule over you. Joseph in Egypt stored grain in the bountiful season so that they could make it through the dry season. If they did not store grain, Egypt would have become slave to another nation. But they didn't because they had saved. Because they, 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 yeah, they lent to other nations. In fact, other nations had to come underneath the lender. They became slave to the lender because they had that amount. Don't be slaves. We're meant to be rulers and kings. So back to our wise student and our proud fool. At the gates of the city, the proud fool says, no way, I'm in way too deep. Plus, I like my current standard of living. Who cares if I have a little debt? I'm living large. My lenders can fight over my things when I'm dead. Gatekeeper turns him around, sends him back to the city. <laughs> you cannot enter the city of freedom. But the wise student knows that to enter the city of freedom, he must leave behind his dreams of financial shortcuts, and they have to do the hard work of paying off the debtors. The wise student says, however long it takes, I will be free of this debt. I will not build my household on borrowed money, and I will be the rightful owner of all that I build. The gatekeeper says, you may enter the city of freedom. Next city, we're going to pick up the pace on these ones. The wise student spends months in this new city. Freedom, it's light, it feels happy. They were no longer slaves and wondering about the future, if the lender is going to collect and throw me into despair. He's never lived among free men before. Everyone seemed somehow lighter. Moods were better. People were more generous and wealth was growing unhindered. All the money that he used to pay to the lenders was now his to keep. But again, the man had to wonder what life was like in the next city, the fourth city, the city called Peace. The wise student and yet another proud fool approached the gates of the fourth city. And the gatekeeper says, to enter the city of peace, you must learn this one simple truth. That number one rule is, fill your storehouses. Storehouse, prepare for calamity and prepare for opportunity. Like I said, with Joseph in Genesis, when he had saved up all that grain, not only were they protected from calamity, they had an opportunity to bring other nations underneath them through their lending opportunities. If there's an investment opportunity that shows up and it's the best thing ever, it's the perfect time to buy Bitcoin, whatever that is. If you don't have any money, you have no ability to participate in that investment. By the way, that is not investment advice. I have no idea if it's the right time to buy Bitcoin. Also, another thing to remember here is Matthew 5.45. He causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good. And he sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. 
Just because you're God's favorite child does not mean that bad things will not happen to you. Calamity comes sooner or later for everybody in some way or another. God sends the rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. There's one of my favorite song lyrics says, do the heavens ever spare the crops when the winter falls? Winter's always going to come. Winter's, it, it loves Illinois. It will never miss Illinois. It comes early and it overstays its welcome, but winter is coming every single year. Are we ready for that? Are we going to say, well, I'll just pray and God loves me, so he's going to spare me from winter. Ah, that's not how it works. So we have to be ready for when these things come. Your kids will outgrow their clothes, the AC unit will eventually fail, and your car will eventually break down. And your daughter and son will eventually get married and, or go to college. Like, I hope all my kids get married. I hope they all have the option to go to college or do something with wealth that I can begin to support. And I hope that I can pay for that and I can support their dreams and send them off into the future. For me to not think about that, if I don't have a storehouse set aside for them to make use of, then I have nothing to give them when it's their time to be launched from my household. And one more thing, Proverbs 6, 6 through 8, go to the ant, you sluggard, consider its ways and be wise. It has no commander, no overseer or ruler, yet it stores its provisions in summer and gathers its food at harvest. Now, the three things that are important to think about in this city is having that $1,000 emergency fund. Dave Ramsey actually considers this the first step in kind of the baby steps that he has created, because with $1,000, if my car breaks down, I don't have to immediately put that on a credit card or put it into debt. I actually have money I can use to take care of that problem without having to go into debt. And now this is why these storehouses are important is because I might think to myself, I paid off all my debtors and now I'm living large and I'm earning more than I'm spending. But if you don't have a storehouse, this, as soon as you get hit with an expense that's greater than what you have, we're back into debt. We can never stay out of debt until we have these storehouses set up that are going to protect our freedom from debt. I'll pause there for now. We'll move on. The proud fool. We'll go back to our story. The proud fool and the wise student approach. The proud fool says, well, I'm lucky and nothing bad ever happens to me. I have enough money for today and I'm not going to shut away money that I can spend today. And the giant turns him around and sends him off. The wise student knows that to enter this next city, he must leave behind his blind optimism. He must leave behind instant gratification and procrastination. The wise student says, I will fill my storehouses so that when the days of calamity come, I can weather the storms and preserve my household. I will also fill my storehouses so that when opportunities arise, I will be ready to seize them. And the gatekeeper says, you may enter the city called peace. So here we are now in the fourth city, the city of peace. Two cities left, and we're going to go quick through these. The wise student's never felt peace like this before, but again, he wonders, what's on that next city? Is there more that can be learned and gained in this journey of wealth? So he approaches the fifth city alongside another proud fool, and they say, gatekeeper, what must we do to enter the fifth city? And the gatekeeper says, to enter the city called multiplication, you must do this one thing, plant seeds. Make money that turns into more money. What we're talking about here is investments. So in Matthew 25, 19 through 30, I'm going to paraphrase this because it's long. The idea of the parable of the bags of gold. A master gives money to each of his servants. Some of them invest it. If I got two bags, they invest two bags and they get back two more. They've multiplied their wealth. They've doubled it. Another servant gets five. 
invests five bags of money, gets 10 bags back. And it's like, okay, that's great. You've doubled your money again. The third one says, oh, I'm afraid of investing. I don't want to do that. It's risky, and I don't feel like I can pull that off. So I'm just going to bury it here in the ground. I'm going to keep it nice and safe. And that person, when the master comes back and sees that that person just buried it, the words that the master has for him is, take that bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has 10 bags. For whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Sounds a little like the badlands of poverty. So the important thing here is that with investing, you're no longer just filling up a storehouse of dried, dead food that just slowly whittles away. You're actually planting seeds, and you're allowing those seeds to turn into life-giving, fruitful things that bear more seeds, that plant new fields, that, brand, that bear more seeds, that plant new fields, that bear more seeds, that plant new fields. Now we're getting into this exponential increase of wealth through investing. So don't just store your money, invest it. And here's the other thing. You can leave it alone... I'm sorry, you must leave it alone. A lot of times with investments, they have to be left alone because if you pull your money out too soon, it kills the investment. You'll pay a fine. It won't actually grow like it's supposed to. So if you don't have a storehouse, then you're going to have to take out of your investments and now we're back in the previous city. There's a reason why these cities have to happen one at a time. There's a process. So then another thing that's interesting too is Ecclesiastes 11 verse 2, give a portion to seven or even to eight for you don't know what disaster may happen on the earth. That's actually a parable. That's a proverb talking about diversifying your accounts. Don't put all your money in the crypto basket. Don't put all your money into silver. Don't put all your money into 401k. By diversifying, we have multiple fields. And even if the beans didn't do so great this year, the corn and the wheat and the whatever else, pumpkins, they're doing great. (laughs) Those guys are doing fine, diversifying your accounts. And I think this is fun too, because as we begin to invest in things, we don't just have to invest in things that yield a financial reward, although we should if we're going to advance to the sixth city. But at this point too, you can also, and at any point really, be investing in kingdom ventures. So if you have invested in the living room, if you have invested money towards the living room, that's not so much uh, in Poverty, Riches, and Wealth by Chris Valentin, he says, A rich man will just throw money at things, but a wise person places their money in places where they know they will yield a return. So you didn't just throw money at the living room. You should, as a wise steward of your wealth, expect a return from the living room. You gave a monetary gift that should yield a spiritual reward. There should be something that comes back from that. When you invest in the living room, every person who meets Jesus, who finds a family, and who experiences the power and the love of God is a return on your investment into the living room. And you should hold us to that. As the person that you have, let's call it, in the lending opportunity, if you have lent us this money and you are the investor in this venture, you should be holding us responsible to make sure that your wealth yields a return. Um, yeah, and also my parents, they're now on the other side of this. They, they had a bumper crop season, and they were just planting seeds and planting seeds as fast as they can. And at this point, I don't think my dad, in three or four years, I don't think I've had a single conversation with him where he hasn't said, how's your 401k doing? How are your investments going? Are you diversifying? Can I tell you about some new opportunities? And, he is a, and he's an investment evangelist because he's on the other side, and he sees how good it is. And the problem with this investments, the hard part about it, is we have a hard time planting seeds when we could be eating them, right? You're telling me I have to put this money and plant it in the ground when what I actually want to do is spend it right now? 
And the verse that comes to mind there is Psalm 126, 5 and 6. Those who sow with tears will reap songs or will reap with songs of joy. Those who go out with weeping, carrying seed to sow, will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with them. It's hard to plant seeds and not have it right now, but when you come back later and you have sheaves with you, you're going to be singing songs of joy. Another way to say that is those who plant jet skis will reap million-dollar homes. That's how I like to think about it. But I want that jet ski. I know. But if you plant it instead, it'll become more later. That's the idea. And also my parents, too, because of their investments, they're not just, they don't just have a storehouse that they're waiting for it to run out. They're not just saying, I hope I have enough money that's going to make it till the end of my life. What they have is crops, fields of crops, that they're only taking a portion at the end of every single year. So by 300 years from now, they're going to have the same fields. They're going to be taking a portion. But it's not a storehouse that runs dry. It's fields that continually reap harvests in their season. So it's an ongoing kind of wealth. It's not just wealth that's sitting in a bank account somewhere. That's investments. If you don't want to learn how to do it, talk to a financial advisor. Make sure they're wise investments, but make sure it's going somewhere that you'll yield a return, not sitting in a savings account where it gains 0.05% interest. That's a storehouse. That is not an investment. Uh, So then our proud fool and our wise student, they approach the city gates. They want to enter this fifth city. But the proud fool says, investing is complicated. I'd rather bury my money right here in the ground where it's safe. And if I'm lucky, I'll die before my storehouse runs empty. The gatekeeper turns them around and sends them off. And the wise student knows that to enter this city of multiplication, he will have to leave behind his fear of risk and his short-sightedness. The wise student says, I will sow seeds that become more seeds. I will wisely choose the soil that I planted in, and I will not harvest my fields until they are ripe. The gatekeeper says, you may enter the city of multiplication. One more city. This is the fun one. So here we are in this new city, living in the city of multiplication. Things are great. People are experiencing more wealth and peace than he has ever seen before. People live beautiful, extravagant, and exciting lives, but he still doesn't quite feel fulfilled. I have all this wealth, but I still feel empty. What was the point of gathering all of this? He's drawn once more to the gates of the sixth city, a city called Legacy. The gatekeeper says, to enter the city of Legacy, you must do this one thing. And that one thing is, leave an inheritance and build kingdoms. Here we are trying to build a brighter future. We're no longer worried about ourselves or whether or not we're going to have enough. We have enough and we know that we'll continue to have enough and our insurance makes sure we'll never not have enough. We're good, so I don't have to think about myself. In fact, I don't even have to consider myself My full-time job in this season becomes investing into the future, leaving an inheritance to my children and my children's children and so on. It's solving problems in the world that I didn't create. I think one of the the funniest examples right now is think about Elon Musk. He built Tesla just because he wanted to. Just because he decided, I got the money and I know electric cars are the future and I want to build that, so that's what I'm going to do. And by the time he had money, he thought, you know what? I'm going to go to space. Why? Because I want to. And I think that there's a huge opportunity in space exploration. NASA's not doing their job, so I'm going to do it instead. And he had wealth, so he said, I'm just going to do it. I'm going to solve this problem on behalf of the future. And my legacy will be space travel before anyone else could figure it out. That wasn't government. That wasn't even God. That was a private enterprise from a person who had the wealth to do it. 
him buying and then not buying Twitter. You might say that was such a power play. Like he totally rocked the system, sent people running. He brought so much correction and accountability to a rather unaccountable system called Twitter. But the only reason he had the ability to do it was because he had the billions sitting behind him that gave him the influence to put on that kind of pressure. And even when it came to the LA underground tunnels, he said, LA traffic's been a monster for decades. I'm gonna fix it. Why? Because I have the money and I can figure it out. I'm gonna build underground tunnels. And even when it came to solving world hunger, he said, I will personally fund it if somebody gives me a plan on how it's gonna make how he can make it happen. That is influence right there. And we might say Elon Musk is maybe a fun, good example, but you also think who else has a lot of wealth and a lot of influence? You know, Bill Gates does and Jeff Bezos does. But I know a lot of people are not all that psyched about the influence that he has. But here's the, the sad truth of it all, is that he has the wealth that brings with it the influence that comes to it. Because in that same verse in Matthew, when he talked about his wise servants, he gave them five, they turned it, they, they turned it into five more. The reward for that was, I'm going to give you influence over cities. I'm going to put you in charge of cities, of people, of government. Your wealth actually creates power and influence in the world. So wealth is not just about us, it's, for about, it's about other people. And especially at the sixth city, that becomes our full-time job. Because Proverbs 13, 22, a good person leaves an inheritance for their children's children, but a sinner's wealth is stored up for the righteous. The righteous are just gonna get it anyways. Um, but a good person leaves an inheritance for their children's children. They're talking about trusts and wills at this point. You also wanna give generously and often, Proverbs 3.27, do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in your power to do it. At this point, you have the power to do it. With, a, with a, just one check, you can make dreams come true. The reason we are, you know, one of the major reasons that we are basically on the cusp of buying this building is because we have people in the city called Legacy that have enough wealth to say, I can actually fund this dream coming true. I'm actually helping to build the kingdom in huge, elaborate, monumental steps that fund stuff like this. If we never had anyone in this sixth city called Legacy, we may never actually be able to build this new kingdom that we're trying to build to expand the kingdom of God. So in this final city, you're no longer building wealth, you're building kingdoms. So now that is our goal because we're not just trying to build wealth for ourselves. We don't love money. It's because we love God and because we could do more for the kingdom of God when we are wealthy, when we are cared for, than if we are sitting here broke. And a lot of people would say too, it's like, well, Danny, you didn't have a city called faith where you just have to believe for the next thing. And that's because faith is in every city. Faithfulness and dependence on God is a part of every city. It, it all belongs to God and comes from God and flows through your hands and it's part of that city. So we can't just have faith. We also have to have wisdom because we know that God feeds the birds of the air, you know, and he, he clothes the lilies and that's all great, but birds don't build churches. And I've never seen a lily with a Tesla, you know, or I've never seen a lily, you know, have a 401k or leave an inheritance to his children's children. God will sustain you like he sustained me with my friend giving me $20 while I was completely broke. But we're not meant to live paycheck to paycheck. We're supposed to move from glory to glory to glory. We're supposed to move from city to city to city, onward and upward until Christianity, Christians, believers, are the people who have the power and the influence in the world. What if all the wealthiest people in the world were Christians? What if we said, we're gonna get together and we're gonna solve world hunger at this table, and whatever it costs, we'll write the check and we will solve that problem. Tell me that that's not a beautiful thought. 
the ability to have the wealth to move things, to build kingdoms, to leave a legacy, to make change. So the only thing else I want to say about this is married people. And when we're talking about these cities of wealth, and I think this is an important note to leave at the end here, sometimes maybe the husband's great at managing the budget. They love money. They love looking over the spreadsheets. They love tracking the investments. And the wife just has no interest in that. Or vice versa. The wife loves the spreadsheets and loves checking out investments to talk to people. But the husband just wants to be told how much I can spend. What, and then we know those couples too. Now here's the thing. One of you has to know. Because if neither of you know, I will expect to see you soon in the badlands of poverty. And that's not because I don't love you. That's because that's what happens when we, don't have, when we have ignorance with our wealth. When we don't shepherd our sheep, they just wander off. There they go. So the only thing I'll say is in a marriage team... Maybe one of you one of you's great at it, the other one's not great at it. But if the person that is not going to take the time to shepherd that wealth does not submit to the person who does shepherd the wealth, then the person who knows wealth has to submit to the person who doesn't, and you are going to be reduced to the one who does not know as much about wealth. So in a marriage, if you, ideally you're both doing it together. You're neck and neck. You're both looking at the same numbers. You agree about this thing. I'd recommend that for every married couple. But if one of you says, I'm just not interested, no drive for that, I'm not going to do it. Then if you cannot submit to the couple, to the person in the marriage that is going to pursue that wisdom and shepherd that wealth, you'll reduce them to your level. And that's not going to be good for either of you. So I'm just going to make that note here at the end. And the last thing too is I recommend you learn more about this stuff. Because it's, again, it's not secrets of wealth building. It's just the rules. It's just the principles. Poverty, Riches, and Wealth is a book I'd recommend. If you're new here today and you have a blue card, you can pick it up for free back at the resource wall. And another one that I don't think is back there right now, but it's Your Total Money Makeover by Dave Ramsey. That book is going to give you the practical step-by-step instructions, kind of similar to this. Poverty, Riches, and Wealth is going to talk to you about the mindset, about the heart journey that accompanies that journey of wealth. Both are great to read. I recommend them both very highly. Depends on what you need right now. But all in all, wealth is a part of the system that God has created. It's a system designed to bless us. We are designed to be victorious in this system. And we are designed to make an influence, to build kingdoms and leave legacies to our children, our children's children. Can you stand with me? Father God, thank you so much for giving us this journey of wealth, for giving us the wisdom that we need to win victory after victory after victory in your name. God, we are co-glorified with you that as we win these fights, God, we are able to say that it all came from you. We can give back to you, God, and you will continue to lead us onward and onward towards greater victories and greater increase. God, we pray that you would make it plain and clear to us exactly what our next step is. The next step on this journey, not just what we need to do with our money, but what needs to happen in our hearts and in our minds. God, change us, transform us through this process. We love you, God. We thank you so much for your goodness, for your provision, for your support, for your wisdom and your truth. God, we pray for the wisdom that you gave Solomon that led to all of his wealth. It wasn't wealth on its own. It was wisdom that got him there. God, make us wise. Make us wise stewards of your wealth. We love you and we thank you. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to the Family Life Christian Center podcast. If you enjoyed that message, please subscribe and share us with your friends. 
We believe the Holy Spirit is alive and active in the body of Christ and wants to have a relationship with us as he guides us toward our destiny. If you'd like to partner with us in your giving, please check out our website at www.familylife.cc giving. Or you can text GIVE to 844-955-0993. Thank you for listening and stay blessed.